Hello, I'm your host Ben and you're listening to Your Career Kit, brought to you by Employment for Students, a podcast where we share the best career tips and advice as well as bringing you industry professionals to share their inspiring stories to help kickstart and further your career. For more information as well as student jobs, head to e4s.co.uk. Welcome or welcome back to another episode of Your Career Kit. In today's episode, I have a previous guest returning once again, but this time he's here to tell us all about his journey winning The Apprentice. He's worked with the likes of Lord Sugar and Boris Johnson, and it would be a huge understatement to say he knows a thing or two about what it takes to be successful. In sharing his experience of being on The Apprentice, he also gives advice on success being closer than you sometimes think, making the most out of what you're good at, and my biggest question, What is it really like to sit in front of Lord Sugar in the Apprentice boardroom? A huge hello once again to Tim Campbell. Hello, Tim. Welcome back to the podcast. I managed to rope you in once again. How are you today? I'm so well, my friend, Ben. How are you doing? I'm amazing. Thank you very much. So I've got you back here to talk all about your appearance on the uh, The Apprentice back in 2005. First things first, you were previously a project manager for Transport for London. What on earth made you want to apply for The Apprentice? (laughs) really interesting so uh going back that far now because it's over what 15 years now uh since that happened so it's amazing i was a really focused graduate uh, within transport for london on a career trajectory through the organization i'd worked for a period of time in the human resources department and eventually became a project project management um professional within our project management team and i was doing really well i was young i was 20 odd um i had enough money coming in that I could take my girlfriend to the cinema and buy a popcorn and a hot dog. It was all right. I'll, I'll That's expensive. Right. It's important stuff. You've got to check this stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. But essentially, I then got the opportunity. Somebody sent it to me to say that there was this opportunity of the apprentice and that I should go for it. And although I didn't immediately grab onto it because I sent it to lots of people because I was the graduate recruitment manager beforehand at Transport for London. So I sent it to lots of people I'd recruited in the business and friends. And on the day before, after not many people applied for it, that I'd recommended, I said, sod it, I'll do it, I'll have a go. And it was the day before, I was relatively flippant in my answers. And lo and behold, the rest, as they say in that cliche term, is history. It was an <laughs> amazing journey, amazing journey. So, I mean, you were the first winner. And I guess, looking back at that time, did you have such an idea that, you know, The Apprentice would be such a big hit, you know, because over the past 10 years, the average in sort of 7 million viewers an episode, that's just, it must be a proud feeling knowing that you, you were number one, you were the first. Do you know what? It made my mum incredibly happy. She, <laughs> she, she was ecstatic that the fact that I, I won it. And if you can make mum or any of your parents or carers happy, it's always a good look, right? Absolutely. But I suppose I'm really proud of what The Apprentice was the catalyst for. Uh, the, the Apprentice was the platform that one allowed me to go and work for Lord Sugar as he is now uh, for a period of time to learn about business. And that was incredibly important because getting that one-to-one contact with him was invaluable. It was worth more than the job was paying me, etc. Yeah. Going on from that though, the platform it helped me to create around investing and supporting in other people's businesses through Bright Ideas Trust, working alongside the government to advocate apprenticeships across the whole of the country mm-hmm. and then advising the government on small business and how more people from uh, different backgrounds could get involved in small business was actually more important than being recognized as the winner because all of those different things means that 
the platform has allowed me to interact with and positively help thousands thousands of people that I may not even know about, right? So I'm really proud and fortunate that I was part of that agenda where maybe before we got a bit more sensationalized uh, because we didn't get 7 million people watching our, believe me, right? <laughs> it was in the early days when it was on yeah. BBC Two and no one, I think everyone had arthritis in their finger because no one pressed the two, but they went from BBC One to ITV. One to three, right? yeah. <laughs> one to three straight away. But essentially the, the platform allowed me to do more of what I wanted to do, which is help people to fulfill their potential and to explore as many options as possible. And I think it's quite beautiful, the fact that, you know, we, we spoke about this in our previous podcast when we spoke, um, that you are all about helping other people. And, you know, I guess it's that springboard. It's that, like you said, it's that catalyst for you to able, able to get that platform to help other people. And it's really nice that you say that that's one of the best things you've learned from it. It's, 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 it's a huge privilege to, one, be recognised as one of the winners. There's been some amazing people who have come through the progress. But the big thing for me is that, I was slightly disillusioned with the fact that being crowned or labeled the winner of a multi-million viewed television show actually created some distance where lots of people said, well, one, you were really lucky to do that. I could never do the same. Or there were people who thought the only way I was going to make it is going on a television show. And actually a big part of my life has been spent dispelling both of those myths yeah. because yes, it was really fortunate that I got on the show, but I did a huge amount of work beforehand around en- being eligible to be entered into the show in the first place. So I, yeah. I advocate to as many people, listen, just be good at something, find something, a talent, a skill, a, a, a niche that is specific for you that you can become an expert in. Don't be a generalist, try and focus on something that you can really be passionate about because the guy who played Fortnite and won a million quid from coming second, he was laughing at his mum all the way to the bank when they bought their new house, you know what I mean? Because he's focused. Now, I'm not yeah. saying everyone should be playing Fortnite because in my house alone, it causes enough headache, right? <laughs> but essentially, I'm saying there is a value in being good at something. Mm-hmm. Um, that allowed me to get entrance to the show. So that was one side. And on the other side, I really want to make it clear that success is sometimes a long-term plan, Absolutely. which doesn't have many things that are visible to other people. So lots of work happens in silence behind the scenes and for a long period of time. And what most people hear is the meteorics rise after it's become public. Yeah. They didn't see the hours that you did beforehand or the, the, the hard work that goes in beforehand. And that for me is about dispelling the myths that you can get success in 12 weeks. There's lots of reality TV shows now saying. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing as well that I thought was quite interesting that you're one of the youngest on the show. I think there was... You were 26 at the time. There are three of you that were 26 and the sort of the age ranged quite a bit. And what was that like for you going to the house? Did you know at the time you were the youngest or did it sort of come up in conversation a few days in? It, it came up in conversation where we all obviously talked in the house and, and, and had background checks and what we did. And what I realised really, really quickly, not only was the majority of candidates older, but they were on paper better educated in terms of they went to really great red brick institutions or did uh, post-degree qualifications at fantastic business schools, et cetera, or had great um, CVs of institutions and brands that they'd worked for. And I'm sitting there like, 
I've just come out of Transport for London. <laughs> you know I mean? I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the guy who worked on the platforms, mm-hmm. uh, telling people to mind the gap and having Americans laugh at me by saying Leicester Square and stuff, right? So I'm like, <laughs> you, have to pinch, you have to literally pinch yourself. as like, like, why am I here? Yeah. But actually, the beauty of the show, which I don't think gets talked about enough, is that it creates this artificial environment where it's a level playing field, yeah. where all of that stuff doesn't actually matter. And what you learn actually from The Apprentice is that when you create level playing fields, you can make no assumption about what success looks like. Mm-hmm. It is actually tied down to who has the strongest attributes personality-wise yep. and who's going to work the hardest. And that's why I think the, the, the enduring success of the show mm-hmm. is about the power of human endeavour. Yep. The, the essential elements are that no matter who you are, where you're from, if you work hard and you deliver you can be successful. And that is a really important lesson, which is why I am an advocate of uh, talking about the show, is that if most people focused on that mm-hmm. rather than the output at the end of getting investment from Lord Sugar as it is now or a job as it was with me, yeah. then actually I think more people will be inspired because it still is one of the only very few shows on television outside of probably um, some of the Netflix productions where families sit around and talk uh, talk about something specifically. Mm-hmm. And I think there needs to be much more conversations about the power of business mm-hmm. and more so financial literacy in our homes. Yeah. And if shows like The Apprentice get people thinking about how do you buy something here and sell it for more? How do you get involved in marketing? How do you get involved in presenting? these kind of life skills, which are more important than some of the things that are taught in our education system at the moment, I think that can only be a positive. Yeah, it's definitely something that's needed, isn't it? Especially looking back on my time at school, you don't learn anything about that. Even in business studies, you're quite limited in what you learn. You learn about all the sort of the big corporate stuff almost, but it's quite interesting. When I was watching, it's quite hard to actually find the episodes from uh, season one yeah we buried them um, deep we buried them <laughs> deep ben. I, I i played took them off but i managed to find the um the first episode and you know straight away you took the lead and Sire did as well on the on the on the women's team it's quite interesting that you're both the finalists but like you said it's you learn about all those all that fine um financial literacy stuff you're speaking about that at the table you took that big sort of leap of faith in a way didn't you by saying right i'll leave i think i think what 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 i I've, I've learned in my life now, and I'm an old I'm an old boy now. I'm getting I'm getting on my legs and my knees need cod liver oil now, right? Um, what I've learned is that you need not to turn down your light in situations, even if you're uncomfortable. Um, lots of people, particularly from inner city areas, will have this subservient view of the world where you must go in ever so humble, yes sir, no sir, ever so humble. And there's there's a very fine line between being respectful and be respected yeah and for me because of the teaching from my mum with our Jamaican heritage she was always like listen be polite um be respectful but never let anybody tell you to bow your head unnecessarily and that level of confidence followed me through to the apprentice where and has in many other situations where I go in with a level of confidence about my ability to deliver on certain things and because I have that confidence, I can go in and not, not demand, but require to be respected in certain situations. So in that situation where I was petrified, let me make it clear, <laughs> I was scared of this. I was like, yeah. oh, my gosh, I know if I go first and we fail, there's a likelihood I'll go. <laughs> I'm going to come up with this suggestion. It might flop. 
I might do this, and they think, who is this guy? Never been to a great school. I, I had all of those feelings. Those yeah. feelings exist for everybody, right? And although I am confident, the feelings still happen. The, the, the heart beats, yeah. the hands get sweaty, the brow starts to furrow down, right? But I knew in that situation, I wanted to win. Yeah. I, I simply made it clear I wanted to be one of the most successful people through that. And I was not, the only thing, uh, coming back to my boxing days, is that I never wanted to lose, be it a fight or uh, a challenge, because of something I could have done or I yeah. was responsible for. Um, from a very early age, I've known about the circle of control, the things that I can worry about. I'm looking out of my window now here, and the rain is coming down, the clouds are over. We had one day of sunshine yesterday, and everyone started to order shorts about going in the garden. Get the barbecues right? out. <laughs> yeah, get the barbecues out, but that's nullified because the, the, the traditional British weather is back. Mm-hmm. I don't worry about the weather. I don't worry about the weather because I can't control it. God, yeah. God does that. That's not my thing or whatever breeding you believe. But for me, I leave certain things to them and other individuals and I focus on the things I can. So I've got a jacket, I've got a warm jumper. I can prepare myself against those things that I can't control. So I'm all right, right? And I think it's a very unique thing that we have to learn is that focus on the things that you can control. And it's amazing how the things that you worry about that you can't control will shrink. But most people worry about, oh, I'm gonna get my hair wet. My makeup's gonna run. Um, oh my gosh, my, my jacket, my new kicks are going to get wet. Do you know what I mean? All yeah. of those things, you can't do anything about. Just worry about the things that you can and do as much as you can to put yourself in the strongest position as possible. And it's quite interesting you say that because, you know, you said a minute ago how you always make sure that you don't fail with something that you did. And it's quite interesting when you watch The Apprentice a lot of the time, a lot of people, you can tell they're in it for themselves and not willing to work for a team. But that's quite interesting because straight away from watching that first episode, I could see that there were certain members, especially you, you were willing to work with the team, but you were also making sure that your opinion was getting heard. You did it in quite a good way, actually, the fact that you were never speaking over people, but there's always bickering from other people, isn't there? But, you, you know, you let yourself be heard. Is that, is that something that you found challenging in the way that dealing with others, because you've got your own mindset and the way you want to operate, but when you've got other people, it's a bit like a shark tank almost, isn't it? Because yeah. some people just in it for themselves and not willing to see the wider image. I think that's another, it's a really great point, Ben. Um, and it brings back the memories of some of the arguments that were <laughs> happening. And you just like hold your hands and you're like, oh my God, you're missing the point. Mm-hmm. The point is, I remember on the first day, me and Syrah, and I love Syrah, Syrah and Adele were two of the best people in that show for me in terms of who I've stayed in contact with, who were absolutely amazing. Um, the thing that we organized on the very beginning, me and Syrah had the agreement, we said, we were never, no matter what happened outside of our house, we were never going to argue with each other or bring business into our house. Yeah. In our house, environment, we were going to respect each other and hold some certain values true. And I think for me, in business, in The Apprentice or whatever not, you've got to hold to your values. Mm-hmm. And what sometimes happens, particularly with people who are getting into jobs or the way of work, um, and we just celebrated International Women's Day here uh, um, um, on Monday, And a big question that we had or feedback from lots of the women we were speaking to is that sometimes you can believe that you have to mirror the negative aspects of business or work in order to succeed. And what I challenged and what many of the people we had as part of that conversation challenged is that actually you have the power to change the environment by leading by example. And what we did in The Apprentice very strongly is that 
I never wanted to personalize anything in the, the whole show because I never wanted anybody to do that to me mm-hmm. because I wouldn't respond very well if they'd attacked me personally. So I made it very clear, listen, I'll, I'll tell you about what you've done wrong, but I'll never tell you about you personally on an attack because I yeah. believe you can do something that's idiotic, but that doesn't make you an idiot. And there's yeah, a very, so once again, thin line between the two, but I think <laughs> it's important to be able to distinguish the two. And then I wanted to make sure that I led by example. So if I said somebody had to run 500 miles, I would have to run the 500 miles first and then ask them to do that. Yeah. And that's kind of my management style. I'm really about, listen, let's set really compelling targets. Let's see if we can get there. But, I, but believe me, I will be running as fast, if not faster than you in order to be able to get there. I'm not yeah. going to sit in some lofty chair and crack out a whip and say, yes, you go and work for me, you minions. It doesn't work like that, right? So by leading by example, by understanding the power of me as an individual in a mix and understanding that my values were going to drive that activity, I hope, and it's reflected in the conversations I've had since, that it positively impacts the environment that you're in. And then people have a choice. You either have a choice to join the cool kids, as I call us, right, who are going to do stuff being value-led, by being um, empowering to individuals, yeah. by working collaboratively, or you can position yourself where you're going to be egotistical, get everything for yourself, argue and bicker, and believe that you have to step on everyone's head to get there. And I'm happy for you to go off and do that because it makes me really clear I don't need to be in your camp. It helps yeah. me to distinguish. And I'm not saying one is better than the other, but in my mind, I work much better in collaborative environments rather than coercive, disjointed, egotistical ones. So. Mm-hmm. Find your tribe is what I'd say to people thinking about it. Find the people who align best with you. There are now many more communication channels than when I was doing all this stuff 15 years ago, where you can find people who are like-minded. Brands and organizations now have to talk about ESG and what they're doing around CSR and uh, initiatives they're doing around helping uh, communities. Use all of that to make sure you're finding places that align with who you are rather than what somebody else wants you to be. Definitely. And it's really nice to hear that, you you know, you sort of stick to your values and it obviously radiates off other people as well, because you, you're only in the boardroom a handful of times because you're obviously successful in the tasks that you did. What, the, what was, it, what was the experience like Lord Sugar sat in front of you in the boardroom? What, what were the nerves like? Listen, the nerves were off the scale. As I said, you, you, anyone who said they weren't nervous is, is lying, right? And I think what you've got to remember is that nerves is not a bad thing. It's often said that having emotions in work is a negative, but I think having emotions in work is a positive. What you have to remember or or work on is how you manage those emotions. Because if you didn't have emotions, you'd be a robot. And I don't want to work with robots because they'll take it over or they will soon. (laughs) So the point for me is that emotions are good. I'd much rather you were emotive at work because I can see passion. I can see enthusiasm. I can see determination. But I want that energy to be channeled in the right way and energy can be channeled in the wrong way sometimes where it becomes confrontational becomes egotistical becomes big heave oh oh, all this other nonsense i'm much more around let's take how you're feeling whether it's positive or negative and see how we can channel that into something else because the nerves for me in that scenario were a hundred but i also knew i needed to get through that in order to be successful so Mm -hmm. The nerves were not as strong as my desire of what I actually wanted. So hold on to what you want to achieve and that will drag you through the mud 
of dealing with the things that you may not think is positive or negative. But don't see your emotions as negative. They are part of who you are. We just have to learn how to manage them and focus them on the activities that we want. Absolutely. And one, one thing that I think we can actually apply to, you know, students might be listening to this and they might have their first interview coming up for whether it be a, their first part-time job, a, a full-time job, an internship, whatnot, or whatever scale. The interview process. Yes. You know, it's sort of, it's, it's a tradition now, isn't it? Everyone knows it's... You, you look forward to it in a way, don't you? It's the best bit. It's the best it's, bit. <laughs> that's more like a grilling, isn't it? Wow. It really was. I guess you didn't know what you're getting yourself into, did you? No, not at all, my friend. Listen, it was the most intense part, apart from the very final session mm-hmm. uh, where Lord Sugar was making these decisions. And, and the reason why it was the most intense part is because these are very, very experienced interviewers who are at the top of their proverbial games and who were giving the time to give Lord Sugar some feedback. So you knew you had to impress, right? Mm -hmm. But having worked in HR, I think I had an added advantage over many of my colleagues because to speak to the audience, you should be really clear that the power in an interview is is shared. It's actually shared because when you go into an interview, you think just like on the show, all the power sits with Lord Sugar's uh, sergeants and colonels who send in to, to have a conversation. But actually, the, it is shared. And why I say that is this, is because if somebody's called you to an interview, you're already halfway there. You've given them enough that says that they're interested in some more. And now it's up to you to convince them that they they should go beyond that and give you the opportunity in a one-to-one uh, conversation or one-to-many conversation. Yeah. So there's a lot of power that you bring into that room because they've called you there. It's like, you've called me here now. <laughs> You've got to also impress me because mm-hmm. yeah, how they conduct true. themselves through the interview, what uh, how they respond to your questions, uh, the stuff that they are uh, showing how passionate they are about having you in the room is going to be a key part of whether you decide to take the job as well. So you've got to remember, employers are spending quite a bit of money on resource because if you added up the salary of everybody interviewing you and all the money they spent on campaigns and all the effort they're putting in, there's a lot of money into this process. That's like up, This it? is important to them, right? So they're going to bring their A game, which is half the battle, and you've got to bring yours, which brings that point where people can make decisions. Mm -hmm. So in an interview, for anybody who feels nervous, do as much as you can to mitigate that nerve. So know who's going to be interviewing. The amount of people I know who go to an interview and have no clue who's going to interview them, phone up the people, send an email, say, just query about who's going to be interviewing me. Because essentially, being able to walk into a room knowing that you've found someone on LinkedIn mm-hmm. or you have their name is a huge bonus about allaying fear because the unknown is the unknowns of situations that scare most people. Absolutely. So get rid of the unknowns. Where's the interview going to be taking place? If it's online, as most of the things are in this modern age, practice with the software. If it's Teams, if it's Zooms, if it's Google Meets, if it's a WebEx, whatever, practice with that beforehand. Phone up your cousin, your nephew, your sister, or your brother, whatever, and have a play with it, right, to do that stuff. And then the final thing for me is they're usually going to only ask you two sets of questions. And the two sets of questions are about the job and measuring your competence to be able to do it and about you. And the pieces of information which give you the best information about preparing for that are going to be the job description or advert, which tells you about the role. So it's going to ask you about that. So make sure you know it inside out. Every word you understand it. If there's not, go and ask someone about it. And then about you, You've already given them a CV or answered some questions about the particular role. So make sure that you've got enough examples about when you've aligned to what the job's asking for based on what you've given them as a CV. So get prepared with examples, 
get prepared with information about what you don't know to make it as comfortable a process, if you can ever call an interview comfortable, <laughs> a process as possible so that you can perform the best. Perfect. And during your time on The Apprentice, what was your favourite task? And, you know, you obviously get these really nice rewards. Were you there? With, did you get to go to Monaco? No, I missed Monaco. Oh, you know, I was no. so vexed. I was so vexed. We, did, we were on this winning streak and then we lost the Selfridges task, I think it was. And then Syra and her crew got to go to Monaco. I was so mad. I was so upset. Uh, but they deserve to win. But mm -hmm. of all the tasks that we did, <laughs> that was the one. best prize. Yeah. That was the one you wanted to be left the country. I can't believe it. Anyway, I'm, I'm not bitter. As you can see, <laughs> right, as a memory. But I think the best task for me, well, there were two, there was two, if I, if I could pick two, um, was the first task, which was where we had to sell flowers because it proved to everybody watching and ourselves included how easy business was. Because to many people, the perception about getting into business, well, you need a degree, you've got to have this, you've got to have a killer idea. And essentially being lumped in the middle of London with some money to buy flowers and selling them to people on their doorsteps was the easiest business plan and business execution we've ever probably experienced in our lives. And it just proved how determined you are actually mm -hmm. indicates how successful you'll be. So we made, I think we made, in an afternoon, we made something like 600 quid, maybe 400, 600 quid, whatever. So it was like amazing. Just for one day's work, we made that money from nothing. So it was true alchemy. It yeah. showed the, the alchemistic nature of business where with effort and energy, you could turn things around. The, the, the second one, which was most interesting, was the final one when we had to create this big party. Mm -hmm. And it was between me and Sarah, who's going to create the best party. It was amazing, the, the support that we had. But it showed you how you relied on a team of people. And if you can manage and motivate a team of people, the synergy of that effort can create amazing things. So we had a, a catwalk show on a boat in the River Thames, which was it was brilliant. I, I'm not even being boastful. It was yeah, really, yeah. really good. I would, I would have gone to the party. I mean, you right? won. <laughs> I won. I won off the back of it. But I would have gone. I would have paid money for the tickets yeah. to go to the party. And it was a guy, one of the team there, a guy called Andy, who is now a very, very good friend, a lifelong friend, um, beautiful family. Um, their daughters, Anna and Eve, really close to our family in terms of we look out for what they're up to and what they're doing. Um, the, my relationship with him grew as part of that because at one point I got the lowest I've ever been. Like, mm -hmm. I was like, sod this, I'm going home, I've had enough, yeah. nothing's going wrong, right? It's raining, I can't be asked. I'm not just not going to do it. And we built up a relationship through that, which mm -hmm. has stayed long time because he saw how much I wanted. He provided uh, the support in terms of getting through that particular process. And it's the thing with business, you sometimes build up lifelong relationships with people that you work through the hardest mm -hmm. time. So I love the, love the, the experience. And I, just, but I do want to say to everybody, don't rely on television for success. Mm -hmm. All of the things I learned through the television program, I could have learned outside of it yeah. and independently and not have to sell my soul to the television devil in order to go. <laughs> so essentially yeah. there are other options around how you get success and it's that working hard in silence for what you want that will probably get you there. Tim that's absolutely amazing are there any social media any link you want me to pop in the description for you? Just, just you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Timothy Campbell underscore MBE. I'm on Twitter, TC underscore MBE. If anyone still uses that, um, send me a message on LinkedIn or whatever. But I'm always around. So hopefully it's one of those, if we continue to work together, hopefully I'll come back and have another conversation. Mm -hmm, um, 
if there's anything that anyone needs any help with assistance that I'm more than happy always to help if I can. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Tim. And we, we wish you all the best for the next well, the next few months. We're coming out of lockdown, so nearly there. <laughs> nearly there, brother. Nearly there. Listen, Ben, it's an absolute pleasure. I love your podcast. I think you're doing an amazing job. Thank you very much. Take care, Tim. Take care. Bye. We hope you enjoyed listening and picked up some valuable tips or advice. If you did enjoy, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. If you're looking for student jobs, from part-time jobs, gap year roles, apprenticeships, internships, placements, or graduate roles, head to e4s.co.uk. See you next time.